everyone, and thank you for joining today's podcast interview. Today, we have two very special student entrepreneurs, Helen and Rachel Lee, who are identical twins and current students at UCLA. Today's interview will focus on how they filed a patent in high school, their experience in creating a startup in college, um, their journey finding the peak fighting the pink tax, and other advice they have for other high schoolers aspiring to pursue business. So hi, Helen and Rachel. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. We actually just graduated at UCLA, so we're actually no longer students, but we are now alums, but we can still talk about our experiences. Okay, great. Okay, so um, first off, I read on your website how you two actually were able to file a patent for a product that you made in high school. Um, if you guys could explain what that process was like, how you guys got the idea for the product, um, and what the patenting process was like, that would be great. Sure. Um, yeah, but Helen, go ahead. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Rachel, you can totally just jump in whenever, um, and if I'm missing any uh, details. But yeah, that was actually about, I want to say, closer to uh, six years ago, right? Um, but yeah, uh, way back in like 20... 2011 is uh, both uh, Rachel and I knew we wanted to be very inventive with our endeavors and uh, we've always been doers and not just people who you know wish they did something or like waited till you know they graduated college or like uh, just to get started you know that's definitely one of the biggest takeaways is that um, if you find that you're passionate about something um, you know don't wait you know a million years to get get it done you have a lot of agency to get things done right then and there but yeah so Rachel and I were um, you know in the like we've always been you know looking to solve solutions or find solutions to problems I should say and um, it was back like when we were when we played varsity tennis uh, when we were waiting to be um, picked up and actually um, our phones had just ran out of battery and this is back when the iPhone I think 4 was, was just introduced is that right Rachel um, yeah yeah and uh, she had like you, you had like a black iPhone and it just heated up and basically the idea was you know it it was a new single idea then where we were thinking like, oh, what if it was possible to solar power, you know, charge your phone, especially when it had died and you didn't mm-hmm. have, you know, a charger with you. Um, so, yeah, so we actually provide, we filed for a provisional patent um, mm-hmm. for a very rough mock-up. And that was actually our first foray into, um, you know, get, get really navigating the patent paperwork process. But also, uh, we talked to investors at a very, very young age. So back when we were, you know, we were just getting into college, um, that invention saw us get into college. And um, eventually, during our first year of college, when we were uh, about 18, uh, we talked to our first investor, and we very much navigated that process. So, yeah. Okay. Wow. That's actually amazing because um, filing patents seems very intimidating. So um, can you guys just describe, because um, obviously it's a very big um, task to take on, especially in high school. So how did you guys get over the fears or like confusion when you were taking on such an ambitious project? Sure, yeah, I and I can take this one. Yeah, definitely. So there's a lot of mystery firms crowded in patenting in general and sort of going forward with projects. And I think the first thing to really tackle that fear and anxiety around doing something, and especially doing something unfamiliar, was the research process for mm-hmm. Helen and So that really consisted of us going to libraries okay. and taking out people with expertise to be able to better understand what we were tackling and better understand the fear. So, yeah, it was pretty difficult given that it was such an unfamiliar area and something that we hadn't experienced before, but I honestly think that that really begins with learning what you're getting into and mm-hmm. researching how to take the 
practice being able to better outline the steps you need to take in order for you to get to the point where you want to be. Got it. Okay. So um, I also heard how you guys also started a company called Prison Backpacks. Yeah. Okay. So um, what motivated you guys to first go into um, entrepreneurship and specifically what benefits did you see in going into that um, field? Yeah, so I definitely think that um, Rachel and I have always been very entrepreneurial as kids, so it really helped just having a partner in crime, um, you know, both as a playmate when we were growing up, but mm-hmm. also someone to always bounce your ideas off of. And the thing we really enjoyed about entrepreneurship is that um, it's very project-based, it's very idea-based, and it allows you to really build a platform that isn't necessarily centralized or something that exists and really allows you to go and do something you you really actually like and, you know, in a way, like, control your fate in a way no other profession really allows you to. Mm-hmm. And in that way, it was something that we really wanted to just, just jump straight into because, you know, it's a good way to really learn the most about yourself because, you know, there's a million ways you can live this life and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, different, you know, career paths that we can choose that are also as legitimate. But, I, like, in our experiences, you know, entrepreneurship has very much been equally stressful but also very rewarding because Mm -hmm. it allows you to you know really see something from beginning to end Mm, okay so could you give a bit more background detail into what your startup um actually does sorry what my startup actually does i want to make sure i understand the question yeah yeah so we as prison backpacks in prison in general we Mm -hmm. create revolutionary and elevated essentials for modern women. So we create better bags and backpacks for women, especially in the working world, that combine the proprietary and mm-hmm. really necessary features of a hiking and a utility backpack with the looks of a tote. And we want to build technology and user-centered experience at the center of something stylish and something functional in order for women to feel like they're on top of whatever that they're going to pursue without being mm. hindered and without fighting themselves when it comes to finding the things that they need and figuring out what they're getting at. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that's actually really cool. Um, I would actually use that. So um, how did you guys, um, so when you guys first got the idea for the startup, how did you guys um, like get it off the ground? Like were there any st- steps that you took specifically? specifically so 
um, I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, what did you do after you um, like got the idea? Like, what was the next step into making it like a real business? Yeah, no, I totally understand your question. So what we did, especially after the idea, was Helen and I really enjoyed visualizing what this product was going to look like, and I think that is going to be essence of taking your idea into something physical. And that's honestly such a stage that a lot of startups go through, especially when you're just going from idea to prototype. Mm-hmm. So for us, we're really doing something tangible with that. So whether it be drawing, which we do a lot, to get this idea down on paper mm-hmm. or to create the most minimally viable product, which is through for us, it was through foil because that was the most moldable and cheap sort of tips and item that we could find in order for us to get this thing to look the way that we wanted to. And through that, we really um, took that concept mm-hmm. and tried to figure out a way to get it as tangible as possible to be able to show people and to be able to begin our validation process. Oh, okay. So, um, um, like, in the perspective of high schoolers, um, let's say, because right now I'm leading a club of high schoolers who are entering startup competitions, and they're basically created creating hypothetical ideas, but sooner or later, I think a lot of them want to create real ideas. So, given that high schoolers, um, obviously, like, our funds are, like, much less than, like, adults since we're not working, um, do you guys see any ways that we could still work with what we have to make our business as legitimate as possible? Yeah, so, um, it's, drawing upon uh, something called the Lean Startup Method. So, mm-hmm. and I think this is really important, especially for everyone who's on a budget and people who can't necessarily afford the means to go from idea to fully fledged prototype. So, I think the biggest idea to sort of go forward with is that, like, even though you are limited in resources or the amount of money, like, I don't feel like that is necessarily the end-all, be-all or the determining factor mm-hmm. whether your idea is going to become something physical. So, I think it's really using that ingenuity and creativity of not being able to have those funds. And I really feel that, especially for health and our limitation in funds and resources mm-hmm. was sort of the impetus and the drive for us to be able to get this thing as physically available as possible. So whether that was through initially being able to validate that particular idea mm-hmm. and use whatever resources that you have in order for you to create something tangible, really being able to validate that and then go towards fundraising, whether it be through your own money, through a friends and family round. Mm-hmm. But the most important part is to create a really minimally viable product with whatever resources that you have, so that could be paper, clay, um, and if it's something like an app, then using a free or open source software to create an app to the best of your ability. And then really testing that so you know whether you want to invest more of your limited resources into it. Um, yeah, just to jump in, just add like one more thing is that um, mm-hmm. if you know that you are limited to the amount of resources you have, then maybe a, a hardware product like a solar power charger is like not for you, or even like a backpack is not great for you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely a lot of ways. Like this is why, like I think a lot of students tend to go towards like maybe like a very you know elementary website slash mm-hmm. like you know something that can be you know easily done because there's infinite amount of software out there um, that can, that is very easy to build. On top of that, even like a service product um, and you know whether it's like you know and you know trying to disrupt an industry that is a very service-based for example like selling from you know one person to another or like a babysitting like you know process anything like that so really um, I think 
you know, allowing yourself to not be limited by the resources you actually have is probably the best way to move forward. Mm. So while you guys were, um, like, since you're creating a start, um, you already have a start right now, Prison Backpacks, what were some of the lessons that you picked up along the way that you wish you knew earlier? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So I'll sort of start with that and sort of on the same lines of being strapped in resources. Mm-hmm. So I wish I had learned earlier is that it's never too late to start getting feedback on your product. And I really think that there is never a too big of a number of people to be approaching. Mm-hmm. And Helen and I have been doing this for years given that our background was in activism and we had to sort of be able to sell and talk to people about what we were working on. But I think it's important to know that, especially early stage startups and people with ideas, I think there's a delicate balance between not sharing your exact idea, but also being able to talk to people about your idea in such a way. Because a lot of entrepreneurs and early stage startups want to sort of hide their idea or in fear that someone's going to steal it. But really being able to navigate that space and be able to talk to as many people as possible just to validate that you're not just building for yourself mm-hmm. is such an important lesson, I think, to be able to be able to approach people about your idea and really get at the nitty-gritty of what the problem is and how you as a product or service can be solving that particular issue. Yeah, like I couldn't agree more. And I think if I were to say like one more thing that I wish I knew earlier when I was starting the startup is like it's never too early to start learning how to negotiate. Um, And I think this is something that comes with age for sure or like something that comes with experience I shouldn't say age more necessarily experience but you know it's sometimes difficult as like a high schooler trying to have an it's like trying to get an adult to you know take you seriously especially when it comes to negotiating and that's something that definitely comes with a lot more experience yeah. it's something that yeah both me and Rachel are also like still learning like the grass we've definitely gotten a lot better at it but it's definitely something that, like, that's definitely a process but I would also say, you know, knowing your numbers really helps you negotiate that. So, for yeah. example, if you have an expected price that you already know that you want to get down to mm-hmm. and know what, like, your market average is. And, you know, if you approach an investor and an investor thinks you don't know those numbers, you can very clearly prove that, you know, throughout your research that you, you know, deserve an X amount. And, you know, being able to know those numbers and having a lot of research up, and that's why we, I think, we really stress research, both Rachel and I, you know, as individuals as well as, you know, entrepreneurs, activists, you know, name it, do um, definitely knowing your numbers and learning how to negotiate and stand up for yourself is something mm-hmm. that is very important that you can never get started early, or early enough on. Yeah. And lastly, uh, sort of on my end, would be it's never too early to start. It's also never too late to start, and you're never too young to pursue an idea, mm-hmm. given that a lot of people have a lot of concerns around starting something and whether your product or your first efforts are good enough for it. But honestly, the iteration process is that. It's so key to entrepreneurship that even the first thing that you put out there won't be something that is your final product. So really to just get something out there and get it out into the open is really important. Yeah, and you wouldn't want it to be your last iteration either. So, yeah. Okay, great. Um, so I also read how you guys were involved with the pink tax and on fighting it and on making sure that there was no more taxes on feminine hygiene products. And um, I think that um, your grassroots movement is also kind of similar to the business because you're all um, negotiating with others uh, for a cause that you care about. So if you guys could just talk about the story of how you got started with um, getting rid of this tax, um, that would be great. Yeah, I can start. And Rachel, you can fill in the gaps because I know... <laughs> 
by that with you. Um, but yeah, definitely. So um, Rachel and I, uh, you know, grew up again, like in a very similar background where it's suburban, where, mm-hmm. you know, we are, you know, counting pennies. We are, you know, bootstrapping at a very, very young age. And uh, we realized uh, right before we headed to college that we were about to buy all of our necessities. And of course, like, yeah. Right, so we were, like, sitting in a Target parking lot. That's sort of how the story started. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially since our father was an entrepreneur as well, we were really conditioned to be aware of our surroundings and question certain things that we didn't realize were right. And we were looking through our receipt when we were going shopping at a local Target for college, and we figured out that there was something written on our pads and sort of the itemized list, and it was that the past tampons were taxed and there were sales tax that would apply to them. So, you know, we thought about it and we had heard about the efforts about the pink tax in Canada and such and other international efforts. And sort of we started to do the research just because we were curious and we decided to pose that question of why the tax applies in California and mm-hmm. what the nature of the sales tax was. So yeah, and we very much Googling on yeah. our phone. Yeah, yeah, and basically, um, you know, after doing all that research, um, we learned that, you know, uh, there's different tax codes that apply to different states, and as a result, it's not just one movement that can do an end-all, you know, be-all of, um, you know, ending such an injustice, but, and we realized that, you know, we were at a crossroads of, like, um, if we thought this was wrong um, and this movement didn't exist, like, it was up to us to start it because mm-hmm. that movement didn't exist then. So, of course, this is, like, you know, a group of high school, like, we had just graduated high school, and, um, you know, there, you know, we really thought that, you know, legislative, you know, issues were an adult realm where it's, like, full-grown um, politicians, but then we decided that, you know, we wanted to take the matter into our own hands, so we wrote up a petition, and we, um, you know, really began that, you know, idea validation process there where, you know, we were able to take that and we ask, um you know, everyone that we know um, to support our cause. And mm-hmm. it really started there, which was, we didn't expect it to be a full-grown movement, but what we ended up doing was we were at the forefront of a, na- a statewide and a national movement, uh, which was very crazy for us. But it was not something that we expected to start to become a movement. And I think that's like the other thing we learned is that you never should start something with the expectation that it will be or go somewhere different. Because, you know, chances are it will never end up the way you want it. And, you know, mm-hmm. in our case, it ended up becoming a much bigger movement that was greater than ourselves. And so that was very thankful for it. And I think we learned a lot about negotiating and a lot about systems, especially systems of, of, of oppression, and learning how to deal with them at a young age. Oh, okay. So, um, that's great. So, um... Basically, um, I went to my club members a couple days ago and I asked them specific questions that they might want to ask you um, since they're creating their own businesses right now. And a lot of them um, had questions about idea generation um, because they had a lot of problems with coming out with viable business solutions. So if you have any tips on how you can measure um, if a idea is viable in the first place, um, yeah. Yeah, I could take this one. So viability is really measured in really, it's what's called the problem solution state of Mm -hmm. really identifying a problem. And when you identify a problem, sort of the natural questions that come in assessing that particular problem is who does this affect and what are the demographics of the people that this affects. So for example, let's say that I find a problem that affects high schoolers. Then sort of the secondary questions you want to ask yourself when locating that problem is what are the age 
just like the age bracket of the high schoolers that this affects. Is it the seniors and where are they located? So really the basic demographics question and even a broader problem has super nuances that may affect a certain subset of people but not another. And really viability is like reflected in the solution that you come up with when you locate your problem. And it really helps get as specific as you can in generating data and figuring out who the problem affects. And then the viability is connected to your solution where it gauges how effective your solution is at solving that particular problem. So for example, that particular aspect or that question of, let's say, academic support for high schoolers, really figuring out what your solution is to that and then measuring as best as possible how well or how effective it is at doing what you want it to do. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, so um, I think those are all my questions for this interview. Um, thank you both so much for um, doing this interview. It really means a lot and it really helps um, me out with um, my own blog. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, also, yeah, I hope that we were able to be helpful, especially given that, you know, a lot of people, um, especially at a high school state, um, you know, have a hard time starting a business or mm-hmm. thinking that they are capable of starting a business. So I think the last thing that I want to, you know, leave, you know, you off with, um, you know, just to tack, tack on to Rachel's point, is mm-hmm. that viability doesn't exist in a vacuum. Your business doesn't exist in a vacuum. And you can never, you know, know what, whether something is helpful to somebody or not unless you actually talk to the people and actually interact with the people um, mm-hmm. that you're trying to help. Got it. So, like, actually interact yeah. with the people and, like, don't just, like, research about them, but, like, actually talk to them. Exactly. So, so it's like what you and I, you and me are doing right now, in which you're talking to us about sort of our experiences. That's pretty much what you want to do mm. when you locate the target customers of who you want to help and who this problem affects. Really sort of diving into their daily problems and really being able to talk to them about what they're facing and how you can help in building a scalable and viable solution. Got it. Okay. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah. This is all very generic, so if you all have, like, specific questions um, in respect to business, like, feel free to, like, reach out, and, yeah. Okay, great. If you found that podcast insightful, consider subscribing to The Lemonade Stand. The Lemonade Stand is a blog that details the experiences of high schoolers trying to break into the startup world that is heavily dominated by adults. By subscribing, you can get updates on how their startups are going and lessons they have learned along their journey. You can find the blog at thelemonadestand.xyz. Once again, it is thelemonadestand.xyz. See you next time.